from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, with more than 100 degree programs offered in four locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Good evening from the Capitol Building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. The halls of the Capitol are now quiet. Lawmakers have gone home for the weekend, and the session has gotten off to a low-key start. The governor and both parties have rolled out their legislative agendas. And we'll get the breakdown when we're joined by State House reporters in just a moment. But first tonight, we hear from several lawmakers across the state about what they hope to pursue for their district. We begin with Emily Allen in the Senate. From Southern West Virginia, Republican Senator Chandler Swope says he'll introduce a bill to create a fund for demolishing dilapidated structures. He says costs of other improvements to his area, like water and broadband, are in the hundreds of millions of dollars range. Very heavy lift. Uh, but the demolition of abandoned properties uh, or reclamation, some are not totally beyond recovery. Senator Sue Klein also lives in southern West Virginia in Wyoming County. In an effort to support economic development efforts, she thinks a Republican-led bill to eliminate property taxes on certain machinery and inventory will attract manufacturing employers with well-paying jobs. The biggest thing is, is just have bills that's going to create jobs and help us bring jobs in our state. And I think the inventory tax is going to help a lot because it's going to help manufacturing come in our state and it's going to help, um, uh, you know, help them have a better base to come here and a better reason to come here. Senator Mike Wolfel from Huntington also talked about economic development. He thinks bills to improve broadband will attract a more skilled workforce. You know, we haven't really enjoyed the, uh, the uh, comeback nationally, economically, that other areas have. And I think part of that is because you've heard of food deserts. Well, many parts of our state are economic deserts. You don't have opportunity to go find a job. So broadband would be the key, a key to that. If we can expand broadband, not only can people go uh, potentially work from their home and have a good income, they can even see their doctor. When he's not a lawmaker, Wolfel is a lawyer in Huntington representing women victims of sexual assault and rape. He plans to address bills that deal with that aspect of his work. Our rape kits are still um, not being timely processed. Women and, and that are victims of sexual abuse, there's a long delay. We've taken action in the last couple of sessions. I've sponsored the Sexual Assault Survivors Bill of Rights. Wolfel's Democratic colleague, William Elenfeld out of Ohio County, says he hopes a set of ethics reform bills will restore the faith of some in government. We have a part-time legislature. I don't begrudge anyone from doing business with the state, but we need to shine a bright light on it to make sure that just because you have a senator, the name senator before your name or delegate before your name, you're not getting a sweetheart of a deal. For the legislature today, I'm Emily Allen in the Senate. 
and we'll hear from several members of the House later in the program. But joining me now, Brad McElhaney of West Virginia Metro News, Emily Allen of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, and Phil Kabler of the Charleston Gazette Mail. Hello to all Hi. of you. Thanks for being here. Phil, I have to start with you. Uh, you put it out there in the Gazette Mail today, or rather this week, that this is the 31st session of the West Virginia Legislature that you have covered. Yes, not, not something okay. I'm proud of, but it is the reality. Well, we, we start with you. We're going to talk about, you know, the, the, the environment here uh, compared to other uh, sessions. I, I started out by saying it's been a rather low-key week. Yeah, it's been my experience that when you have a combination of election year and tight budget years, you get relatively low-key uh, legislative sessions, and that's what we've seen so far here is in the first three days. I think the uh, governor's state of the state address, though, the longest, one of the longest, if not the longest, that I've experienced was had only a few uh, agenda items and some that have been. Uh, on the table for, for some time, intermediate appeals court, uh, uh, doing away with the inventory tax. So it wasn't uh, for all the uh, bluster and all the uh, dramatics, it, it wasn't any, any real new initiatives proposed with one or two exceptions. So I'm, uh, I would anticipate a, a relatively quiet session, of course, uh, the, in the course of 60 days, uh, your best laid plans can sometimes go astray. Um, that's right. We know that the um, the severance tax is, is is quite a bit down. You know, before we started, uh, we had the the legislative look ahead where lawmakers get together with the press and they roll out what they're what they're thinking. And we heard the vice chair of the, the House Finance Committee, Mick Bates, say that he felt the whole budget process was going to be quite benign this year. I mean, do you, do you have that sense? Has thing, have things changed since the governor's state of the state? You know, on the whole, I don't think so. But, but two things. The, what, what Bates went on to say is that there is this um, issue that has arisen several years regarding the property tax that manufacturers pay on their equipment. And uh, property taxes are embedded in the Constitution, so if you change that, you would need uh, two-thirds support in each chamber, and then it would need to go to a vote of the people. Uh, so there, there's probably going to be some haggling about that issue. But the other thing that was revealed on the day of the State of the State is that West Virginia has been running a surplus on the amount of Medicaid dollars that it collects versus what it has actually used. And state officials anticipate $309 million uh, in excess Medicaid money. Uh, the governor proposes filling a budget gap with a hunk of about $108 million. And then about $150 million he proposes setting aside for about for, for sort of a rainy day fund specifically for Medicaid needs in the future. Well, lawmakers are already seeing that money and going, you know, there are other things that we could do with that potentially, whether it's current health care needs or paying for something else. Uh, Emily, you were at the um, immediate 
reaction to the governor's state of the state by the Democrat Party. We had the minority leaders here last night, uh, but that was 24 hours after the address. They were uh, they were quite upset after the the state of the state, the immediate response, because of the issues that Brad mentioned, that we are last in so many categories uh, that DHHR is responsible for. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that immediate reaction. Yeah, it, it was um, pretty heated, pretty controlled. I think relating both to what Phil and Brad have said, I mean, they accused the governor, Jim Justice, of painting a rather rosy picture of you know the state's affairs um, because it is an election year. So um, you know, according to Jim Justice's address, as we've kind of addressed, you know, most things were pretty positive. Um, you know, we've got a lot of road maintenance going on. We're going to hire all of these CPS workers, child protective service uh, people, for our foster care crisis. We've got a, a growing handle on you know the much-related opioid crisis, um, and uh, you know Senator William Elenfeld out of um, Ohio County, a Democrat. Something that he said that really stuck with me was um, that you know some of these things may be true if at all in pockets of the state, but for all 55 counties, you know, it related much to what Brad was saying. They don't have the resources financially to deal with that. Um, so they obviously you know they took that as an opportunity to talk about the inventory tax bill. Um, during that legislative look ahead event we mentioned last week, they talked about, you know, statewide counties collect, I think, uh, like $100 million from that. So, you know, without this money, the Democrats said at that, you know, kind of prepared event afterward. Um, and that's going to that's going to be the, the big rub. I mean, we, we heard we heard members of both parties saying they could get behind that tax repeal if we can we can backfill and make sure that the those counties are are still taken care of. And I don't think we've been told how the counties will be made whole. They've been promised that'll be the case. And I think uh, the Manufacturers Association believes that natural growth in the economy will make up the 100 million a year, which seems a little ludicrous when we're looking at a $30 million current deficit and the governor's projections for the next four outgoing years are that each year spending will exceed the uh, tax collection. So it's like, where is this growth coming from? Let me bring up something that um, the, the governor gave a nod to in his state of the state, and that is something that the Speaker of the House is proposing, a, a capital investment fund. Do we have any idea what that is and um, if there are any questions, concerns already about that? Well, it's a high learning curve on that issue. It, it involves finance, and uh, I talked to the speaker a bit about it. The concept is that the state would uh, provide the authority and possibly some money for capital investments, and it would partner with uh, other sources of capital, and they may range from uh, big companies to, uh, to, to other sovereign investment funds from, from other nations, like Norway, for example. The, the, the speaker even mentioned that this is a vehicle necessary to get that huge China investment going. Yeah, and, and so that is something that West Virginia has been promised, and a large amount, $64 billion. But as you know, relations between the United States and China are strained. China energy is uh, essentially an arm of, of the Chinese government. Um, and, and if you're talking about investing in the nation's infrastructure, like an Appalachian storage hub for natural gas, that potentially could be a concern for the federal government. 
so what Hanshaw is proposing is, is West Virginia puts its seal of approval on investments like that, uh, thus hopefully generating uh, some trust for the federal government when there's an oversight question. You know, I, since we've we've mentioned the Speaker of the House, uh, Phil, I'd like you to to talk about this. You've written that you know, like it or not, the the Speaker of the House is a brilliant parliamentarian, and um, he'll certainly tell you that. <laughs> well, you've pointed out he can uh, he's he's been able to maneuver things um, in a in a very concerted way, uh, especially with the, the education bill. Right, we saw it, and that was, a, a, for better or worse, a brilliant strategy. He set up the, uh, the special committees to look at education and stacked one of the committees to support the omnibus bill, which of course he sent it there. So uh, yeah, he, uh, he's a student of the, the procedural in the, in the legislative process, so I'll hand that to him that uh, uh, if, if he gets into a scrape when needing a few votes one way or another, he can look at some of these procedural maneuvers to keep his legislation alive. And and to, to just bring it around as, as we start a new session, you know, there were such bad feelings uh, last year, last session and in the special session. Um, not only between the parties over the education reform bill that finally got through that included charter schools, but also, um, you know, real back and forth between the governor and, um, and, and, and Senate uh, leadership. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and it, it, it seems that everybody's playing nice now. Uh, it does at the moment. It's it's a fresh start, and you know, as as Phil pointed out, we are uh, there's not been a lot of action at all so far this week. But the governor was quick. Well, to let point me just out remind them that this, the the Senate president on West Virginia Metro News said that he was not in the position of endorsing the governor for re-election. Right. Yeah. And and I, the Senate Finance Chairman called for the governor's resignation this summer, this past summer. But since then has appeared with him at public events. Mm -hmm. um, the Senate Finance Chairman Craig Blair actually, we should say, was a, in an auto accident that has affected mm -hmm. things. He's on the road to recovery, but um, the governor during the State of the State speech said some very nice things, wishing Senate, Pres Senate Finance Chairman Craig Blair uh, well in his recovery. So there, there seems to be some smoothing out of those feelings. And uh, I'm not aware of, of any legislation right now where uh, the governor's office and, and either chamber is really at loggerheads. Uh, of course, uh, nature kind of pours a vacuum, so that's one of the concerns when you have a slow session that, and as we all know, the tensions grow as the session goes on, so that's, that could be a concern that if uh, there's not a lot of legislative initiatives to occupy the members, do they at some point revert to where we were last year where it seemed like everyone was figuratively at each other's throats. And of course, um, Emily, the, there is, um, you know, there's that, uh, I don't even want to, I, I don't even know what to say, that, that tug of war or that, um, that criticism from uh, the Democrat Party about uh, the governor's, um, you know, the 100 companies that he's still very involved in, his refusal to put that into a trust. You mentioned uh, Senator Elenfeldt. 
Um, he's got some ethic legislation coming out this session. Yeah, he's kind of uh, talked about it as a, a package of ethics reform bills. And, and one of the bills actually was introduced last year. Um, but one specifically, I think that is newer, at least from him, that uh, he submitted, and I think it still has yet to be assigned a number. Um, would require the governor to put his um, assets in a blind trust um, and, and future governors as well um, during the, their kind of elected term. Um, another bill would that he you know submitted and still hasn't been introduced would um, I, I think create an officer of the inspector general in West Virginia. And then the bill that already has been introduced um, and is assigned to the government operations committee. Um, he said it's kind of an effort to increase the transparency around lawmakers. Um, our legislature is part-time and kind of their business dealings when they're in like a, a contract with the state. Um, Phil, you know, we did have the minority leaders uh, on the show last night. As you well know, neither one is uh, running again. Um, Delegate Miley mentioned that one of the reasons was uh, PAC money and out-of-state money. And I know that you follow, uh, you know, campaign contributions and, and um, that, whole, uh, that whole subject very closely. Uh, what can you tell about and tell us about, you know, that issue as we're into the, the primary season right now? Well, I think it's a very legitimate concern, particularly for Democratic legislators when you have these, uh, what we tend to call dark dark money organizations like the 1863 fund that uh, uh, no matter how well organized your individual campaign is and how effective you've been at fundraising, you're, you never really know when you'll be targeted for, uh, by one of the dark money groups that can put in many times what an individual candidate can raise. So I can see where that, uh, that would be a concern. Plus, uh, I heard some of the uh, legislators who are not seeking re-election just talking about how the atmosphere has changed so much that it's uh, much more uh, divisive, much more tribal, and uh, the uh, uh, sense of fellowship and camaraderie is, is not like it used to be. So there's, I think there's a number of reasons why a number of candidates on, or a number of legislators on both sides of the aisle are not running for re-election. And, and Brad, um, the um they said that uh, not not only that, but uh, oh, they mentioned that the 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 long term. I mean, there was a lot of history, a lot of um, uh, a lot of legislative um, in institution, the the knowledge of 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 how things are are done here because they are both long term. Um, you know, a a lot of that will be lost. That there are a lot of uh, lawmakers that that may or are sitting on the fence right now haven't filed and and we might be surprised at who doesn't oh at exactly who might you know in addition to those two uh senator prezioso and and delegate miley uh finance or sorry judiciary chairman john schott in the house is mm -hmm. calling it quits um you know he not only has been a longtime legislator but but dealt with the impeachment process which went it seemed almost half the year a couple of years ago so i think there's just a lot of wear and tear on folks west virginia ideally has a part-time legislature citizen legislators but because of the impeachment the budget crisis uh it's gone almost all year round uh the omnibus education bill went half the year last year uh so it's been a real commitment for for people's time and i think there are folks who are feeling that
And what issues uh, that didn't make it through last year do we think might um, have additional life this year? You know, there was already a bill in the House that, that popped through. Um, it was introduced in the House today on the floor, uh, and it had to do with runoff elections in case uh, Supreme Court races don't have uh, really, in case nobody picks up a majority of the votes in Supreme Court races. Uh, if you'll remember last year, there were two, two dockets of 10 candidates each, and so it's very easy to come up with a fairly small number and win those races. Uh, that was introduced last year and is back in this year and is already moving. All right, and Emily, what are you watching for this next week? Um, so kind of related to the elections topic, Senate Bill 94, um, the, the Judiciary Committee in the Senate um, recommended passing it. It would provide for West Virginia voters um, with disabilities, they would be with qualifying disabilities, I should say, um, would be able to vote via an electronic absentee ballot. Uh, voters with disabilities now can vote via a mail-in ballot, but the Secretary of State's office and various disability advocacy groups have come out and said, you know, that really violates their um, constitutional right to voting with privacy because someone would have to help them with that ballot. Um, so I think last time I checked online, that's supposed to have a first reading in the Senate on the 13th on Monday. It, you know, who knows? <laughs> all right, and we'll be following it. I want to thank all three of you for being here. Brad McElhaney of West Virginia Metro News, Emily Allen of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, and Phil Kabler of the Charleston Gazette Mail. Thank you all for being here. Several of the issues we just discussed are priorities among delegates this year. Randy Oe surveyed House members about their concerns their constituents have back home. As a longtime Huntington restaurant tour, first-term Republican John Mant Jr. knows how hard the opioid crisis has crippled his hometown. But the Cabell County delegate will sponsor a bill that, in part, helps frightened physicians get the pain medications to legitimate patients in desperate need. You know, we just need to take care of, one, uh, doctors that are afraid to prescribe now and people that, that aren't getting the medication that they need uh, to make that a little easier. Because um, we have a lot of people suffering now. And it's, it's kind of done a, a total reversal on prescribing medication for pain to where now we have some people that can't get the right amount. Delegate Cindy Lavender Bow is a teacher who comes to the house focused on West Virginia's children. The Greenbrier County Democrat says the state's drug-free mother-baby program is working in select areas but needs to be fully funded to offer statewide help. As it takes babies who are born with drugs in their system and works closely with with the mothers and also works with them actually before the birth to get them off of drugs and so we, we end up lowering the number of children that are exposed to those things in utero. Republican David Kelly is a Doddridge County pastor with 20 years of law enforcement experience. Kelly will push the legislature to reduce West Virginia's burdensome jail overcrowding on both ends. We have people languishing in regional jails that have minimal bonds that can't meet them and I think we could come up with some solutions there for certain misdemeanor uh, crimes that they could get out and then on the other end of that uh, finding ways to get people out of jail and out of prison and back into the workforce. Two-term Boone County Sheriff Rodney Miller fosters deep concerns over our security and protection. The Democrat has long been working on a bill to see expansion in the scope and duties of the little-known Fusion Intelligence Center, expanding from a governor's program 
to a codified entity that safeguards us all. These are the guys that are the unsung heroes in the background uh, that is the go-between between the state of West Virginia, uh, our federal system that, that get a lot of the, uh, the work in the underworld, if you will, uh, that works with industry on critical infrastructure issues uh, with our national security initiatives. Uh, you have to have federal clearance in order to be able to interact and disseminate this information. Uh, and, and especially in the times that we're living in right now, it, it becomes even more paramount uh, because uh, in light of what's happening right now, uh, we have infrastructure in West Virginia that is vital to national security. Uh, it's, it's vital to the livelihood of, of West Virginia itself. Uh, so what are we doing to protect that or the threats that we have, the vulnerability? Ohio County Republican Erica Storch also serves as Wheeling's Chamber of Commerce president. Delegate Storch says Mountain State businesses and jobs will not grow without incentives and regulations to increase and benefit child care options for working parents. So while you know you may have a son or daughter that wants to return to the area, if they have established a family someplace else, they don't realize the possible the weight to get their child into bona fide qualified child care. And the city of Wheeling, we've had a couple centers close over the past year or so. So that's created an additional hardship. So any way we could ease the regulatory burdens on our child care providers so that people that do want to return, do want to raise their families here or maintain their young families here are able to do so. Republican Delegate Ruth Rowan represents Mineral in Hampshire counties, home to the West Virginia School for the Deaf and Blind. Guided by first-hand involvement, the retired school teacher is sponsoring a bill that addresses challenges and offers guidance for deaf children and their parents. Getting them the right um, uh, like language skills to start out at birth to give parents the knowledge and the tools to get their children the things they need to see that their children uh, get the best uh, possible uh, resources for their deaf children. Parents that uh, have deaf babies, uh, it'll get information to them that they can better serve their own children. What works better for them, sign language or some form of technology? And now the debate begins. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yoey. Monday on the legislature today, Senate President Mitch Carmichael joins us for the first full week of session gets underway, plus an update on the news and activity here at the Capitol. We hope you'll join us. I'm Suzanne Higgins for everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Have a great weekend.